0: Welcome to Web3 Galaxy Brain. My name is Nicholas. Each week, I sit down with some of the brightest people building Web3 to talk about what they're working on right now. On today's episode, I'm joined by Jorge Izquierdo and Alejandro Perez-Paya. Jorge Izquierdo is the co-founder of Aragon, the first full-featured on-chain DAO governance system. On this episode, Jorge and Alejandro Perez-Paya join me to discuss the history of Aragon and their new startup, FIRM. First, Jorge tells the story of how he and Luis Cuende pivoted from building a startup to fight patent trolls to co-founding Aragon in 2016, the year of the infamous Dow Fork. We discuss the evolution of Aragon and what worked and what didn't in this first iteration of on-chain governance tooling on Ethereum. In the second half of the show, we focus on Firm. Firm is an operating system for internet-native companies. The product combines SAFE's multi-sig permissions affordances Ricardian contracts for incorporating in a specific jurisdiction and on-chain representations of cap tables for transparent and on-chain corporate ownership. As always, this show is provided for entertainment and education purposes only and does not constitute financial advice or any form of endorsement or suggestion. Crypto is risky and you alone are responsible for doing your research and making your own decisions. I think a lot of people with experience building DAOs discover a newfound appreciation for the tried and true corporate firm. It was great speaking with Jorge and Alejandro about their journey and perspective on the future of internet native companies. I hope you enjoy the show. Jorge Alejandro from Firm, welcome to the show. Thanks for coming on. Hi, Nicholas. Thanks for for having us. Hi, Nicholas. Hey, Alejandro. (laughs) I'm excited to talk about Firm and uh, and I imagine uh, Aragon, where some of the ideas for Firm must have come from, maybe to get started. Could each of you introduce yourselves? Uh, maybe we can start with Jorge about what your background is and, and how you got here. Yeah, sure. Yeah. So I'm um, I'm Jorge Izquierdo. Got into
1: space uh, full time around 20, 2016. Very close to the time where the where the DAO was was hacked and Ethereum uh, splitting two in the in the response to it. Yeah, started Aragon in November of, of 2016. Been in the yeah started building. What's ended up uh, being called as a, the first off framework uh, back when DAOs were not uh, as popular uh, as they are right now. Uh, yeah, a bunch of a bunch of stuff were at Argon until it left in, in in 2021, and uh, last year I started building started building from uh, taking some of the some of the learnings and, uh, and ideas and experiences from from being very very close to DAOs for. For a number of years, uh, and applying that to building what we call internet native companies, uh, which are companies that can be a little bit more trad- structured, uh, but that can take advantage of a lot of the, of the same properties. So, yeah, we're, we're building internet native companies
0: uh, to support, uh, to be kind of like the backbone for the next generation of, of companies. Great. And Alejandro, what, what was your background getting into the space?
2: Well, actually, I'm kind of new in the space, probably working on on a project, but I have a, a background in, previously in finance and banking. I've been working in in a company which IPO'd in 2021, which is called Dolphins, that uh, actually has nothing to do with the crypto space. But uh, during all my time, uh, all my professional career, I've been kind of involved in the crypto space from the background, like. Uh, as an investor as a user um, well finally this is my 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 time to to f- start working on something, and this something has uh, been firm and well happy to to join jorge uh, to to make these internet companies
0: a reality awesome so jorge i, I first of all it sounded like you got involved in crypto and almost immediately started working on Aragon. Uh, were you a DAO idealist when, uh, when you first got into this space? Is that what drew you into crypto? No, I mean,
1: I had been following crypto and experimenting with, uh, with different things uh, previously. But it wasn't actually uh, how I really, I mean, when I considered I got into crypto, it was like we were building a, a different, different startup and there was like the, the need for something that we thought could be built with with smart contracts. And that drew me down the, down the rabbit hole, uh, and I haven't done any, anything different, uh, different since, since that day. So yeah, that's, that's the moment I consider.
0: What, what was the need that, you, that drew you into to crypto? What was it that you were lacking as a business?
1: Yeah, so we were, we were building
0: a company that was called Unpatent. Uh, we were
1: very passionate about ending with the patent role Problem <laughs> that is uh, people that buy these uh, stupid patents uh, sometimes from companies that are uh, going bankrupt and then use that to to extort other other companies that do something even remotely similar to to what the stupid patent that never should have been granted does. So we we're we we're building that and taking that from from a few different angles and eventually from early customers, we got the feedback that they would the thing that they wanted was just insurance uh, so that they could forget about this about this problem. And I mean, we were like very, very early startup. I don't know if at this point we had, had or $50,000 uh, dollars pre or not, but we were kind <laughs> of at the point that we were like uh, two uh, 19 or 20-year-olds uh, from, from Spain uh, in Silicon Valley, and we needed to build an insurance vehicle. And at some point, I mean, we, we were already very familiar in doing prototypes uh, with Ethereum and we actually got down the, the rabbit hole of trying to build this experience vehicle on Ethereum. And that's, I mean, at least for me, that was the moment where I got Ethereum peeled uh, forever. It was like, you go from something that looked uh, absolutely impossible to just actually building that in, in a few weeks. And then after building a prototype for this kind of for our own business grew and we were like, yeah, but this patent to a problem, if, there's like decentralized organizations that are all over the world, and this is like a very U.S. centric problem. This doesn't even uh, matter. So, uh, as we went down, the rabbit hole ambitions grew, and that's how we, we got started with uh, with with Argon trying to build uh, software for decentralized organizations.
0: And what was it about being decentralized that was? Is that what made it relevant, or was it something about the insurance needs of the patent troll <laughs> victims that made blockchain relevant?
1: No, it was about being able, being able to build that and how, how empowering that was to go from that seemed absolutely impossible to build to, uh, being able to join, uh, pitching like a completely permissionless platform and being able to build that and build like this, this insurance vehicle in this case in a completely trustless way without having to ask for anyone's permission. And like, you like build a thing, put it out there and be like, yeah, this, this will. This actually like this decentralized insurance vehicle. This is something that can be done and can could be built. And that was like a crazy moment uh, for, for me. I used to be, I mean, to that point for almost all of my career, I had been an iOS app developer. And I, I, I like from, from like that experience of <laughs> building this prototype of this uh, insurance fund, I've, I've never, it might sound sad, but I, I haven't been excited about <laughs> anything else. And this has been almost, <laughs> almost seven years. Uh, but it was like, and this is something that really drew me to crypto, like the ability to to build things um, that uh, would have been impossible, right? Uh, In the you have dark. Like, yeah, I mean, like absolutely impossible like this this would have never been been approved or but this like being able to change from like having money on the internet to be something that you can sort of interact with APIs such as Stripe or some of the other free tech apis. To something that okay, you have like native money that software can natively interact with, uh, and that kind of opens up the, the Pandora's box for a lot of crazy stuff uh, that we've seen in the, in the in in the years that that came after that, and and a lot of very very interesting stuff that that is still coming.
0: So I want to get to Firm and talk about Firm and, and learn more about it, but I think it's probably relevant to go through the story of Aragon because my sense is that it must have informed your decisions about what to build at Firm. So maybe, could you explain a little bit about what the motivations were for building Aragon in the wake of the DAO hack? And I guess I'd like to get to what lessons you learned through that that led to Firm.
1: Yeah, yeah. I mean, the, the thing, and being at that point when, when I was personally getting very, very involved in the, in the Ethereum community and that space it was like seeing the the dial. like I mean it had happened like three three months prior, but I, I have personally not been very involved um with that or following it that like very very closely in the community. It felt like something that you looked at it and 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 you could think, okay, we're kind of dismissing this this idea which had a had a, an implementation that was probably too ambitious for for the time, and in this case, had a had a few bugs uh, that, that kind of were <laughs> very very critical and existential for it. But even though you could look at that and see, like, okay, this was like not the best implementation uh, of this, but the the idea was obviously very good and it, it was something that was very very important that's kind uh, of surprising while, for that the
0: the, the blow-up actually made you interested in it I wonder if that's like a common pattern in, in blockchains where something goes very badly but actually it attracts people's attention to maybe doing a better yeah, implementation but
1: I think that's a that's kind of a test because like do you, do you see it uh, kind of like go bad but but if the idea is still is <laughs> still important and it's uh uh, it's it's something wor- worth pursuing, like uh, and this has happened like many many times in crypto. This doesn't happen with like ideas that could have maybe not been very very sound. Uh, for example, you didn't have a rash of people trying to recreate uh, USC after Luna's uh, collapse, and that might tell you something about. Well, uh, maybe
0: I'm not sure. I'm afraid you might have,
1: but yes, in principle, uh, yeah, <laughs> yeah, maybe, yeah. <laughs> But yeah, it was like kind of like uh, being like, okay, we have like this this tool, like we can literally build anything, and we can build like kind of this um, this software uh, framework that allows to build any type uh, of of organization, and that's that's what we that we were really really excited about.
0: Because uh, DAO of like was very this, specific. That was really it was an investment club, basically, not a protocol for doing that, but just a specific one, right?
2: Yeah, but if if
0: you, if you look at
1: the at the code for that, uh, I mean, even in that particular instantiation, they went for like this uh, kind of like decentralized BC fund. But if you look at the code, like it was ready with like the ability to perform uh, arbitrary transactions, like in the same way that the governance contracts that are most used today, like I don't know, like Governor Barrow or Open Saplains, uh Governor, like that. That was something that you could uh, already do to with the with the DAO. Is like definitely like the software was more in my opinion more ambitious That's just trying to do like this 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 BC for sure for sure fun
0: while, while it did blow up uh, thank uh, thank the designers or implementers of the code for impu- uh, putting in the delay period for exiting the funds oh, that yeah. allowed for the fork to happen i mean pretty good foresight even in a protocol that had some pro- or a project that had some problems at least they had that in otherwise the fork wouldn't have even been possible
1: yeah, absolutely. And it was very interesting. Like a lot of, and, and this was actually where, where the issue happened, but kind of it had the, the idea of like allowing some subsection of, uh, DAO token holders to kind of like fork off, uh, from the, from the DAO with the DAO splits. Um, and allow, it was kind of like a proto, very, very proto, uh, rate squid. Actually, it was like a way to generalize, uh, rate squid and, and a lot of the ideas that, were had at that point and uh, were implemented there are being discussed today for inclusion uh, actually the the rate grid thing that now I've, I've been reading like uh, haven't gone very very deep but it looks like a lot of the ideas uh, there were present in the in the DAO. So it was like definitely something that was um too yeah i mean too ambitious for the time and like the state uh, of all the infrastructure and all the tooling in the ecosystem but yeah it was like kind of like something from the for future and a lot of the thing from Ar- our Aragon is like okay the DAO, the DAO is that but like there's a lot of very interesting ideas here and, and that was uh, kind of what got us excited like okay let's let's try to build like a secure framework uh, for the, like in 2018 and has been kind of like Aragon's main product offering until until last week actually.
0: Right, I know. I know. There was a recently a big announcement at Aragon, new version of the protocol. Yeah. But I wanted to ask you, who who were the people who started Aragon, and how did you meet them? Yeah, so it was it was me and um and a friend from from Spain. This this
1: he's doing a project called Nation Three now, building um a nation state DAO, which is pretty pretty exciting. Yeah, and it was it was uh, the two of us, and then we. We were joined by an uh, an incredible, uh, incredible group of group of people. It was never very, very large. It was like 20, 20 people until until I left. But yeah, it was super super fantastic uh, team from like all walks all walks or of life and from all over the world.
0: Aragon is a bit from before when I really started paying attention seriously in twenty twenty. But it's very popular with uh, some huge DAOs, right? Lido, I think, is on Aragon. Are there other uh, like star projects yeah. worth mentioning? Yeah, Lido is very exciting because like
1: they're they're actually like integrated with Aragon OS at the at the protocol levels. So, like every time that you do um an STE transfer, like it, it types us some of the some of the Aragon really? OS code. Wow. I didn't realize. Yeah, it's like when we architected Aragon OS, it was like in order to allow uh, building like decentralized protocols in using the, the framework, and that that wasn't very successful in terms of like uh, people like just build their protocol how, however they they see fit and then uh, use Aragon as like the, as the governance. But Lido did actually build it uh, build it this way, and there's uh, a few others that their first version was like this, so like Aavegotchi uh, or some other projects that that were really very very integrated with Aragon OS um and there was then like some other uh
0: very interesting DAOs
1: that that popped up uh that, that kind of were at the, at the forefront of uh of many things um, Yeah I see
0: also uh, like uh, Decentraland, NFTX, land Yeah Avagachi you mentioned um I don't know to what extent bright ID is decentralized but somehow they're they're using Aragon so a lot of a lot of uptake. i i i'm curious what it means to be deeply integrated with aragon it, it, like why would transferring stake eth have anything to do with aragon really yeah
1: so this this is how, how aragon os was, uh, was built uh, in a way that people could build like this uh, we call them aragon apps and that was that was with the with the theory that okay like we didn't make the split between what's a dao and what's a protocol right uh, so it's like Kind of the decentralized protocol is a, a DAO, so like different pieces of the protocol could be governed by the DAO itself. Uh, so always had this like pretty complex uh, permissioning system that allowed people to say, okay, like you just build your code, and then you kind of like uh, wired uh, at some other level, you just wired everything uh, so that uh, there would be uh, like a path for okay, how how can this action happen here, and then uh, that'd be like, have, give them the ability to, like, wire it in some different way in the future. And Lido, uh, DST token, uh, is like an Argon app. Uh, so it's like kind of like a piece, uh, of their DAO slash, slash protocol. So yeah, that, that was like some, like, or idea in 2018 of what could be a good, uh, a good way to architect this, uh, decentralized protocols, uh, slash DAOs. This, this in particular, this way to architect things wasn't, super super successful and the community moved uh to other types of uh, of architectures and then just have the DAO as kind of like this external uh external thing uh, that can that can govern uh the, the protocol and perform like this admin admin functions. That's what this space um, actually moved um, moved to which is also good because it, it can it keeps kind of the, the two things like the governance and the actual protocol separate but it's not as as flexible as what we intended it to be, that allowed like having like different types of voting thresholds for different performing different actions uh, but uh yeah, that wasn't super uh something that that people uh really ended up wanting to do and preferred like some uh simpler simpler governance if you will
0: did it complicate uh upgradability to have a deeper connection to the os or was that built into it as well no
1: we we built uh we built upgradeability right into it actually like. We were Argon was one of the pioneers in terms of a, a smart contract readability and proxies. This was also something that when we started talking about this in 2017, 2018, uh, people uh, weren't really keen uh, to the idea. Uh, and there's been like kind of waves in in terms of how acceptance uh, people have been towards uh, upgradability. But this is this is something that from day one we were we were very convinced that it was very important and kind of like. The protocol like argonos like had a um, uh, upgradeability built in so kind of like people can upgrade like different different components of the of the system and that was built in uh, into a system yeah we, we made a bunch of very early R and D uh with uh with Open Zeppelin uh on this uh, and we have actually shipped it at the at the same time of course open then Really kept developing new patterns and ways to do upgradability uh, to get us to what, what we what we got today. But a lot of the early work on on this uh, it was kind of like a, a joint joint effort, and that was like a, a very key part uh, of the of the architecture.
0: So, what did you learn, or how did your perspective on DAO governance as a mechanism for managing like DeFi protocols, but also just any kind of project that might be on chain? How did that evolve through your experience building Aragon?
1: Yeah, I think, I mean, because at Aragon we had some, also some sort of uh, token proto-token holder governance. We couldn't have a DAO uh, at the from the get go because DAOs, <laughs> software for DAOs it didn't exist. Um, so we had to do like kind of the regular like nonprofit uh, plus uh, dev companies uh, structure, uh, but we still had like some signaling from token holders for for doing like some some large actions. We actually rolled this out late 2018 or early 20, 2019 to start doing like this governance um this governance proposals. It was called ATP or Aragon governance process. And that was like kind of the first because like Aragon at that point did not have a product market fit and it was like very, very far from it. it was like that was like 2018, 2019 they were. I mean, to say that they were not the hot topics is an <laughs> understatement. Like, people. Do you know when I hear about it? It's like, um, yeah. It, 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 it very slowly built up, and then like it really exploded. I would say in, in DeFi summer in 2020. But yeah, but we we were like put in practice some things that we thought were very important, kind of like just like. Community governance uh, type thing, uh, so we rolled that out, and yeah, we, we we got to see like some of the things that happen when you try to have like public uh, and community governance before you have product market fit, and when you're still in a, at a moment that you're creating uh, creating things, and yeah, it's uh, it's it was not. I mean, we learned uh, a lot. It attracted a lot of people in the community, but it's like. Yeah, it made us see that yeah, it's not the, it's very hard. I mean, it, it's very hard to build something new and create something new, and it's like even harder if like you need to add on like the the politics, um, and and just to be honest, like even having to have like a lot of public feedback about things that are going and who gets funded and who should not get funded. Um, so that was a, a big learning about like the the. The timing uh, of things and like mm. putting in doubt, like, hey, our are, are DAOs actually uh, good at this uh, at this stage. On the flip side, like, we, we always operated with this like dual model, like so we had the the kind of like nonprofit slash uh, proto DAO at the top, but then we had like small teams uh, below it that that were had uh, specific uh, functions, and uh, I ran one called our our one uh, that was like fantastic team and, and we're like kind of like this very close work and like it was like very, very productive, uh, produced like some, some very, very incredible work.
0: Can you just explain to me a little bit about how the financing and funding of teams like that worked inside of Aragon in yeah. that era? At that point, we, we had like the, the nonprofit uh, run like the signaling polls
1: uh, on on governance proposals called AGPs and there were like four months, uh, like four for cycle, bo- voting cycles every year. So it was like something very, very structured, like, hey, for AGP one, do you need to submit your proposals by this week? And then there's a review process, and then there's a token holder signaling vote on this date. And these were like funding proposals, like uh, some teams did them for a year or six months or three months. And this was kind of like asking the community, hey, we want to do this for Aragon. Do you approve it or, or not?
0: And was there a, a explicit budget up front for how many how much would be funded total per cycle?
1: Yeah, this was something fun that we had to introduce in an AGP. It was like we we didn't this was something that we did not have from the from the get-go. And at some point, like uh, token holders were very optimistic and wanted to see a lot a lot of stuff being built. But the crypto prices were going down. And at some point, like the amount of funding in proposals that was getting passed, it was too 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 large. Mm-hmm. Uh, but, like we, we didn't start with any any budgeting, but then it's like this budgeting. I don't even remember how it ended up. Whether it ended up happening, just like at that point, it it starts being weird. It's like, do you like have a budget for proposals in a in a particular cycle? But what's the difference if like some proposals are free or so, uh, there were a lot of weird things uh, with this that could end up in like this kind of having to have a very bureaucratic process so that every, everything's clear and everyone knows what's, how, how this is going to work. But I could end up having impacts on, oh, this team cannot get started building an Argon until three right. cycles from now, which is almost a year, uh, because there's this, this bureaucratic process, right? But um, I, which isn't it, but if you don't have that, then it's kind of like, yeah, infinite potential for funding proposals, and, right. and yeah, everyone is just voting, uh, making a binary decision in each each of those.
0: And where did the funding for those come from? Where was the how how was the treasury uh, sourced? Yeah, this was a a Swiss nonprofit called the Argon
1: Argon Association. So because there was no, I mean, we were running kind of like this this governance uh, process, and then it was like a signaling, uh, but took it very seriously. And then it was the, the nonprofit that executed under the basis of, uh, of token. And there was uh, like a, a mint
0: uh, event for acquiring the token to participate in these signaling events? No, I mean like people voted with, with Amt on chain. Uh, so we used uh, Aragon uh, for that. And the token was dropped in like an ICO style? Yeah, there was a token sale in May 2017 interesting i wasn't i wasn't paying attention in that point closely so i i wasn't de- but there were like listings of coins for the the like sa- sales on token launch platforms at the time yeah no this is the token launch platforms that uh, came uh, way later this was oh, really? kind of
1: ad hoc yeah yeah It was very very ad hoc uh, argon was one of the early large large ones and yeah i mean it was it was very very successful it raised uh, Almost twenty-five million dollars in twenty-four minutes, uh, or something like that. It was kind of the, the largest uh, at that point. It was a record that lasted for <laughs> for like a week. Uh, it was like uh, there was a lot of, uh, kind of other big ICOs uh, followed uh, after that. But yeah, um, it was kind of like very hot. Like everyone built their smart contracts for for the token sale and like their websites and as so on. And kind of like uh, token lunchpads uh followed after to kind of product productize that, uh, but then yeah, uh, ICOs were yeah, were kind of removed as a possibility due to uh, regulatory right, regulatory course. response uh, due to the very high amount of uh, of scams that followed.
0: Right, and so the funds that were raised from the token sale were passed to this. Nonprofit, yeah. and then allocated exactly. entirely to the uh, this funding allocation process you described. Yeah, and now very recently, like a month
1: ago, like all the all the funds in this nonprofit have started being transferred to an actual DAO running Aragon. So now it's like this was something that we we were always planning to transfer the uh, funds uh, to the Aragon DAO, and this this transfer has has actually started now. As oh, a it's interesting that it took through, so long. Yeah, yeah, we yeah. The especially the legal piece uh, was was not clear uh, for for a long time. But like, okay, how how do you do this in a way that that it's an actual transfer? Like, what's what does it mean in terms of in terms of uh, tax, in terms of liability? Like, have the funds if the if this entity is not recognized uh, or can be recognized as many things. It's not very clear. Like, okay, like the board of the of the nonprofit is responsible for how funds are spent, as in any company, right? Like, well, well do you have these funds, like do, there's a, a few people that are fiduciaries uh, and have to ensure the correct use of funds. But then, if you transfer it to something that is not recognized as like, or it's not clear how it's recognized, or may not even have any uh, legal uh, legal personality, like there were a lot of questions about like. Were the funds actually transferred? And these are the people that are in the board of the nonprofit uh, still liable for where those funds end up, even if they no longer have control over them? But because legally, someone might say, like, we don't recognize that there was a transfer. So there, there were a lot of legal details that. I'm curious that how they got, finally
0: finally got sorted out. How did you figure out? Or I guess you had left by that point, but I'm curious how the organization yeah, figured it out.
1: Yeah, there's, uh, I mean, there's uh, been a, a lot of, um, progress in terms of like this, uh, th- th- this crypto, uh, law and like different, different opinions at, at this point. It's, I mean, there's been examples of, uh, different DAOs going to court and being recognized as different, different things. Uh, and until this point, these are realities that, uh, there's no clarity, uh, still. So the, what, what are going to ended up being doing. I wasn't very, very close uh, to to this, nor involved. Like there there was a fantastic team doing this. Was that there's, uh, as far as I know, there's still like um, a kind of uh, another Swiss association, non-profit, but which like inner workings uh, are controlled uh, by token holders and by code. Uh, So there's like legally there's some per- legal personality but the the every, all the inner workings of the of the organization uh, run by run by code so yeah there's still uh, uh, like I mean people in space call it like legal wrapper uh, so that's the that's the the idea that they ended up going hmm. going with
0: interesting so, so so sort of the token participation in the upgrade since upgraded token uh now constitutes like a membership of a nonprofit uh, offshore, yeah. and uh, but yeah, well, it's in it's in Switzerland. Um, but yeah, I mean, this is this is basically what
1: uh, how it ended up uh, being set up. Very diff- like large difference that the, the token holders are actually in control of the funds, mm-hmm, right? Mm-hmm. So it's not like hey, like token holders signal or express their will. Like now, token holders like actions and votes uh, have binding actions uh, on chain. Um, so
0: it's it's a it's a very very large so on chain voting difference. is directly controlling the, the funds now oh yeah mm-hmm, yeah
1: mm-hmm. cool there's a few there's a few a few guardrails uh, to prevent some classic issues with DAOs uh, that so far have been more theoretical than real like fifty one percent attacks so there's um, a group of people that are guardians that can veto proposals mm-hmm. on the grounds that it's like uh, they're illegal or illegal for DAO governance, because you really want to avoid the case in which like, 51% of their token holders approve a proposal to give the money to themselves, right? Sure, sure. Uh, to say The classical 51% attack. Or do you also want to avoid like the DAO sending funds to some something, horrific something bad. Uh, Causes. Do you think that yeah.
0: kind of saps the, uh, like a veto power saps the meaningfulness of on-chain voting, or is it just the reality that we need these things? No, not even, not even specifically I mean, for Aragon, but I mean, there's vetoes and tons of on-chain DAOs at this point, so it's 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 uh, it does seem to be a problem that that people are concerned about broadly. But do you think it invalidates the like use case justification for the DAO in the first place, or it's just like a necessary for now kind of thing that we have the, to t- I mean, staple on? It's
1: yeah. I mean, it, it's definitely a drawdown the issue and and just something that the I mean we 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 were. Uh, we we're pushing a lot for for like solving this problem, the 51% attack, because like this is a real problem. If you just have like basic on-chain governance, like, you're bound to this, this attack. And the issue is that you cannot write code, uh, which uh, can distinguish uh, a proposal uh, based on whether it's a 51% attack or not. So just like very basic. Uh, Boat in without any guardrails, uh, it's 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 very dangerous. There's other DAOs that have uh, implemented this like uh, rage quit uh, mechanism, but that's and, and you can solve this. It's like if someone is doing a fifty one percent attack, you're just like no, know uh, fact that I'm taking my 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 proportional share of the money. But that only works for a small subset uh, of DAOs, um, and yeah, it it has some other issues uh, such as like it was like basically if if you're fifty one being 51% attacked a DAO with Ragequid, the the mechanism that it has to prevent that is like, yeah, you can try to do that, but we can kind of like do like a self-destruction of the DAO and we can all take our money. But that's not a, yeah, very, very sound uh, mechanism. Imagine if like every time there was like a shareholder dispute in a traditional company, Microsoft, uh, they like the way to like Prevent that was like, okay, let's, let's, let's kill the company. Let's take all the assets. Let's take all the, all the money and we'll incorporate uh, Microsoft too. And hopefully these, these bad people won't, won't come join us. So it's like, yeah, it it works from, uh, for some subset of DAOs, but people have been so far interested to implement it in, in several types of DAOs. It's a simpler solution, uh, than other mechanisms. But yeah, veto power is, it's of course a centralizing force, but it's like, it has the, the advantage that it's very, very simple.
0: Right. So it, did this experience in DAOs lead to you uh, finding a newfound love for companies that led to Firm or am I reading into it too much?
1: <laughs> no, I mean, there's, I mean, there's the, the appreciation for and, and also the personal experience of seeing how hard it's to create uh, new things and especially how much harder it makes it if you have to do it. In a way that you have to find consensus, so that there's a community that feels included and and empowered, and with the add-on of like, okay, you now have to, you cannot make uh, this kind of quote-unquote dictatorial decisions that are sometimes uh, needed in companies to shape, change course, or to uh, make a make a tough decision, uh, because you have to be somewhat democratic uh, and public. And it, that ends up having a lot of weird things, in which like. People that work together and should be going for the same goal are now kind of being forced to (laughs) argue in public and give feedback in public. And this this gets especially hairy when it's the bad feedback, right? Uh, Because when everything's going well, like that's that's fun. But when there's like you have two teams that are competing for funding, uh, and they're the only ones really Mm. uh, that can provide real feedback on like how the other team is doing, because like the general public. I mean it's it's a lot of time to really follow up a, pro- a project to the point in which like you can do like perform like strong performance assessments and like know what the commitments were like why they haven't been met what's happened like there's there's a lot of context that people just don't have and they don't have the time time to get and yeah they, they, this ends up making things very hard and also the like out of seeing a lot of protocols and a lot of things that have been built there's also been the newfound love for uh, simpler models in which like uh, people can proudly say, no, 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 we're, we're just building a product or a service. We don't have a token model. We're not, because like, the moment you have a token model, the thing that you're building is an economy and an economy that can be defended uh, and can have a defensible business model in a in an open source and network environment. And that's like really, really hard. Uh, so now you on top of building your product or whatever you're building in the world, you need to build like this economy that makes sense, and that can have uh, repercussions in the way that a lot of things that like, could be good ideas to build, you cannot build it because like there's no way that that leads to the sustainability or profitability of the of the part or, or the project, right? Uh, so there's there's a lot of issues with um, having to come up with this. Um, complicated models to capture and distribute value for uh, stakeholders that that are embedded uh, with with DAOs. Uh, so this is like a kind of like a go back to equity in, in a way, right? It's like like, yeah, this this thing in which like someone is starting a brand new thing, they're not sure how they're gonna make money. Still, but they know that if they make money, like the the, the shareholders of the thing have a right to their proportional part of um, a free cash flows, right? And that's something that you cannot do with tokens uh, without really risking being uh, categorized as security and just tries to be security in many ways, um, which ends up having like complicated things and things that end up distracting founders and teams from the important thing that they want to be doing. So yeah, there's there's a little bit of, of that uh, as well.
0: Do you think that, um, because we, we talked a little bit about, there's both sides. There's the sort of fundraising part. I think it's interesting. It's unfortunate that it's so in conflict with the existing regulatory regime, but it's interesting to allow people to participate in the risk and potential upside of a new project, which uh, like the current environment of public companies Essentially, once a company is public, it's uh, a lot of the alpha has been squeezed out of it by accredited investors. Um, so, there's that side of it that's interesting, that is part of what makes tokens interesting and DAOs interesting. And then there's also the governance part, which sometimes can feel like a huge advantage because it lets people have input into a project and like a diverse group of people can give their input. But at the same time, it also sometimes feels like, um, kind of an, an impediment to execution velocity that's maybe partly like a justification for the token's purpose outside of uh, speculating on future revenues or something of the, of the project. Do you think uh, the on-chain revenue piece or the participating in the equity of the project, are, those, are either of those things, uh, which of those is more relevant to FIRM, uh, which has been carried through into this new design? Yeah, they're, they're
1: both very important.
0: Like we believe there's going to be a lot of businesses, uh, products, and
1: services that get built that get direct uh, on chain revenue. So having those go directly into uh, an a thing that is um, that can natively hold crypto and receive crypto is is very very important. And I think we're and we saw that in the last bear market, and it's like people uh, kind of get a little bit more more pragmatic uh, and build uh, some more uh, useful things. Uh, when the kind of like super speculative uh, mania, like <laughs> replaying the same meme uh, over and over again, kind of uh, turns off a little bit. But yeah, the the yeah you you can you can do like a lot of important things with DAOs, and I would I would argue that after a project like an important protocol, which is should be a public good has ossified or almost ossified, like it should either not have governance of or have very, very broad, broad governance. And I think DAOs are are very good for that. Uh, So an an example that I really like to use is like compound, right? You probably are not gonna trust compound or app in the same way if it was like three dudes in a company uh, with the admin keys uh, for that. Like people would be very, very scared of having uh, large sums of money there. So it it makes sense that in order to make changes to these protocols or like make like uh, financial decisions about the soundness of some collateral, that that you do that in a decentralized governance uh, manner. It's also important for uh, liability reasons uh, that it's not uh, three dudes uh, that are controlling uh, that. So I think adapt for that like does make make sense, but for things that are still in very very quick iteration mode, especially if you're like a competitive. Competitive landscape, having to be public and having to have uh, decisions made in a community-oriented slash democratic way, uh, having to air out your <laughs> dirty laundry in in public all the time because that's the way to do things. Like that puts that could put projects in a in a very large disadvantage uh, compared to like teams of ten people uh, that are collaborating privately and are they're, they're just like going going going. So yeah, I, I guess we'll we'll see. But I, I think there's in the next few years there's gonna be uh, 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 going back to a little bit more of of pragmatism and reasonable ways uh, of, of of doing of doing things. Yeah, and we're we're building firm to like uh, help uh, people build the next great things in in Web three and on the internet.
0: So firm is you said for internet companies, internet native companies, maybe blockchain native even, taking it more specifically to, to the technology that we're thinking of. So essentially, organizations that want to manage the, I think I read in your docs, the canonical uh, corporate balance sheet on-chain. Is thats is that the focus of it? Does it matter if the companies have on-chain revenues or not? Is it is it specifically good if you're trying to generate revenues on-chain?
2: Well, actually, you can contain and and maintain the balance sheet uh, through firm, but even if you have no revenues, it also makes sense. For example, at the starting point of a company, you have no revenues, you are just investing the money, allocating resources, and even in that case, firm makes a lot of sense because of all the budgeting features and also because you can build your cap table and and issue uh, tokens, uh, equity tokens, uh, without needing even to incorporate the company. You can push that into 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 the, that decision into the future so you can incorporate it but you can have a vehicle to collaborate with your funders with your team to allocate the resources to have a, a a way to manage all the payments that you are doing or the payroll even you can play with the streams to 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 handle the payroll automatically so i mean even if you don't have revenues it makes sense but when you have revenues it also makes sense because you have a really good automated source of legal uh, agreements, legal binding agreements who are uh, done through smart contracts or by, by using the smart contracts. And also the finances of the treasury of the company is handled in a decentralized way, in a trustless way that you can uh, benefit from all the uh, technological leverage of the, the, the internet companies, internet native companies to to automatize and to uh, enhance your, your your company operations.
0: So, what would the onboarding look like? Let's say I have a new project. I've been talking on Twitter, and people are saying I should build a. I want to build an NFT browser or a browser, essentially a website. Let's just say that uh, allows you to interact with HTML and other like WASM compatible code, uh, served directly from the blockchain uh, with your wallet in scope, so you could execute transactions from inside the token URI of an NFT, let's say. Um, if I wanted to, if I say, I'm interested in doing this, uh, I've played with DAOs a bunch and they're interesting, but maybe this isn't ready for a public comment just yet. Uh, I'm interested in trying Firm. W- what is the experience of onboarding for me?
1: Yeah, there's this phrase that we like using at Firm, that uh, Firm lowers the cost of creation to zero. And the way we think about it is... Um, you can think of this as like the moment that there's a couple of people collaborating, or even if it's just yourself still. But you want to kind of like separate kind of the uh, the account or like the, the funds that you're, you're using for for this project. You go go to firm. Uh, just so we're in private beta still, but you to be able to, to go to firm and create a, a, an entity. Uh, for I mean, it depends on the network in which you you want to use. But it could be like as low as like one or two dollars um, uh, using uh, Polygon or some of the of the L2's. And in in five minutes, you end up with like a structure that allows you to have like this uh, kind of like crypto corporate bank uh, account. It's really as uh, safe, which is super powered uh, for efficient uh, efficient operations. Uh, the moment that you're collaborating with someone else, like you, you may set up rules of like. Hey, if we are making in order to make payments within this range, we don't need to ask each other. Like, just like, can go ahead and, and do the payments. Uh, if this project starts for generating uh, any revenue, that, that goes directly to the to the firm as well. Even at, at this point, like nothing legal um, has happened. Like, there's there's no incorporation yet, uh, but you can still like uh, split the proto shares or interest in the in the in the project. Um, and then at a point in which, like, you actually need it, a lot of people tell us that they consider like legal incorporation when they're, uh, getting external investment or when the business is getting a little bit large and there are liability concerns. And with a few clicks, like, we can firm can turn your internally native thing into kind of like a, a legal entity as well. Uh, so that there's kind of the, the way to think about it is like, uh, there's a mirror entity, uh, in a legal jurisdiction, uh, that kind of, in terms of like legally, what you're like, we make it so that the things that are happening on chain, uh, so the way to conduct uh, board meetings, so like perform actions on the board or uh, shareholder votes to perform like changes in the board or like things that require shareholder approval, uh, or issuing shares, right? because after this point, the, the these tokens and these proto shares that you had before, uh, they're actually now legal shares that uh, represent. The same rights and interests uh, as like uh, shares in any other company would. So, yeah, the, we, we like saying that because it's um it's a little bit different uh, than with like a traditional company, which is, like uh, you don't go and get uh, like the bureaucracy and like lawyers involved until it's like kind of like okay, this is this is getting serious now. <laughs> we we should we should we should get this done right. It's like the moment that you're creating something and you have you need the ability to start. Uh, handling money, be that because you're starting to have revenues or that you are, have uh, partners. You create this entity, which just lives on chain at the beginning, but has like all the same, all the same features that you will have after the fact. And then the moment that you're ready or do you need that, uh, we make sure that, okay, like you just keep using firm as you were doing, uh, but this is now a legally recognized entity. And it has the advantage that it's like, I mean, there's like 400 years uh, of experience in, in corporate uh, in corporate governance like uh, people actually know uh, what what happens how are things recognized where risks where there's uh, there's no risk who's responsible for what who has a fiduciary duty uh, and we just make the operations of that very very easy uh, but until you get to that point like you're just operating like this like on chain on chain company with, which is like 100% 100% software
0: so I get a transparent uh on chain maybe even limited constrained through on chain parameters uh gnosis safe yes and I get a legal uh entity in which jurisdiction is it fixed to one or I can choose
1: I mean it will be fixed to one at the beginning, but there's I mean firm protocol which uh, we we launched last last week is is completely agnostic to the to the jurisdiction that these companies uh, get mirrored. Uh, into, uh, but we're starting just just with one for now. So it will be Delaware corporations uh, for for now. But the idea is that this is like something that is of course uh, international and cross border and won't be uh, just the like USA. And out of the the advantages that you were mentioning, and this might be a little bit relevant uh, today, given uh, some of the news that are coming out uh, of uh, Silicon Valley Bank being closed. Yes, this gives companies the ability to really. It's like very interesting, that like the, the code itself of the internet native company, is kind of like an internet native uh, crypto corporate bank account, which is embedded into it, which allows for, of course, self custody, but also like some efficient uh, use of funds with that. So it's not like every time that one USDC needs to move, uh, uh, three out of five people need to sign and someone may have gone uh, already out for the weekend because it's 6 p.m. on a Friday and then like the payment will just not go out until like Monday or whatever, this person is back. So we 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 kind of draw this line a little bit closer to the like uh, enabling efficiency because like, that's what you really need to run a company like, that you just cannot have of course, not even like a shareholder vote would be an un- <laughs> and a, or a token holder vote would be unacceptable, but not even the safe and, and having a safe uh, transaction or a board transaction at this um at this point. So it's like kind of this balance between like having very strong uh self self-custody, but also allowing people to run an efficient operation. And this is this is kind of like one of the big differences uh for why firm is not it why the software. Uh, even if it rhymes with DAO for a lot of people, like the software is fundamentally different. Using DAOs, you need to have something which is like a, has a strong anti-capture uh, guarantees. You don't want to have someone capturing uh, compound's governance and like throw, uh, throwing something in. But here, like in a, in a company, like there's a, you're working on much some assumptions of much higher. Uh, trust level, some of which is out of the reality. If, like you're working with your friends, th- there's probably a lot more, a lot more trust, and you can work on, on that uh, higher trust. And then after the company is incorporated and has legal personality, many jurisdictions like there's like these same after the fact protections. Like I mean, CEO of a company like can typically <laughs> have the ability to send all the company's money to their bank account. But they're gonna go get in trouble. So here, like, if you're running your company firm and something entity, and the, the CEO has the ability to do that because it's configured in that way. But if they do that, they would get in the same trouble that if they did that in a in a regular company.
0: And they and yeah, might also soft, be restricted from doing so on chain.
1: Yeah, they might, they they might be restricted to doing so. But you, we can offer it with like citing. For allowing more efficiency, because we are running like internet companies are fundamentally running in a in an environment with all, in which like we can have a lot more of implicit trust. So that's that's good.
0: Yeah, you're saying you're saying being a multisig rather than a DAO is acceptable because the nature of these organizations is to one where it's favorable to be agile as opposed to. <clears throat> stuck with on-chain voting, much less agile, because the, the, the DAO governance, on-chain governance, especially design, is more suitable for an adversarial environment as compared to a company, which is not adversarial within itself, typically.
1: Yes, and, and in Firm Protocol, we take it even a step further, and we have this uh, this budget uh, budgeting module in which, like, we allow like teams of individuals or in, individuals or like other smart contracts to have like direct spending allowances, right? So like even bypassing the multi step. Uh, so we make the analogy oh, that okay, see. the support and the board can do whatever, but then the board use delegates uh, some of the uh, day-to-day uh, operations and decision making uh, to other um, group of people uh, and individuals. So it's even like higher efficiency than the multisig.
0: Got it. So tell me, what, what are the contracts like? Or is it entirely NOSA safe and uh, plus like the legal documents, or is there a firm on-chain protocol as well?
1: Yeah, there's there's actually quite a quite a lot of code. We we open sourced um, like a week ago, and uh, we have some docs uh, live now at docs.firm.org. But yeah, there's a, a series of modules that, that people can can opt into. Like uh, we have like the this budgeting and uh, uh, modules that, that we were talking about. Then we have like the, the, all, everything related to the ownership, the cap table and the shareholder governance, which kind of comes separate. I mean, like, uh, people can opt out of like not, no one in that. Um, so yeah, there, there's kind of like those two very large group of features. One is around efficient spending, uh, and getting, getting things done without having to involve, uh, a large number of people as companies uh, typically work. And then we have like the other large group of uh, features, which relates to like uh, uh, the the cap table and the ownership of the company, which is a little bit more complicated than just like ERC twenty uh, tokens uh, or like ERC twenty tokens with delegation and so on. Uh, because as since these are prepared for being like uh, legal shares in in multiple transactions, you need to have like the possibility of having like. Uh, Different types of controls like transferability locks, potential to have like um, white lists or blacklist of people that cannot hold the token because like they might be in a in a mm-hmm. bad list or or they need to pass some KYC. Uh, so it it needs to be like a very flexible system uh, to be able to represent legal sourcing companies in a broad way uh, of jurisdictions, even to the point in which like this might be like a completely trustless crc twenty token, but still. Uh, we need to have give people uh, a fair amount of uh, of controls and levers uh, to customize that, and we have some very simple like governance uh, for for shareholders, uh, which uh, can integrate into other uh, tools in the ecosystem, such as Stally, uh, which is uh, compatible with the with the standard uh, governance uh, interfaces.
0: Got it. So it seems like uh, kind of the protocol brings together parts of different projects in the ecosystem. Maybe this cap table piece is the one that I, I, I can't think of a close parallel to it in the ecosystem currently. But bringing together the legal, the budgeting, payroll, treasury stuff, permissioned access to these tools, as well as the cap table module into like a kind of operating system for a company.
1: Yeah, it's kind of, um, it's very, at the protocol level, it's very, very full-featured. And we're not even uh implementing all the features or surfacing all the features in the interface uh, for now <laughs>
0: and are, are you using it yourselves for for firm? Yes, yeah, we've been
1: using it since September like all right. oh, may actually so this is before the audits uh we've been using like the uh, proto uh firm versions so like from like zero point two cool. uh, we've been running um and now now that the software is audited uh and it's a V1 out. we're actually going ourselves now for this uh, second stage of like, okay, we have our firm entity, which is the internet native like, software piece, but we are now also having that be linked, uh, mirrored to, um, to a legal entity in the US in Delaware. So we're kind of a, uh, a step ahead of our, of our user and really taking foot footing uh, to the extreme, which is something that we couldn't do with, with, with our just like, things took uh, a while uh, to build and everything was more amazing. Uh, our firm, we're taking this stuff uh, to, the, to the extreme and actually like our company is being incorporated using the same APIs uh, that uh, firms will use when they want to incorporate. Very cool. Uh, so we're uh, taking, taking this stuff to the extreme uh, and kind of like, I mean, we, we don't talk about it like it's an experiment, Just like this is literally uh, our company, Uh right. we're we're, it's a little bit like putting your uh, your money with you when where your mouth is. Uh, but it's it's been yeah we've we've had no no issues uh, on mainnet even before um, it was it was audited and now it's like a lot more the protocol's a lot more sound and uh, yeah we're we're confident to start onboarding external users as well now.
0: I'm curious about the legal arrangements. Were those something that you developed in-house, or something that you borrowed from, like LexDAO or, or one of these other orgs that has has already developed some of that stuff?
1: Yeah. So we, what well, we needed exactly for from, we couldn't just use uh, some of the fantastic work that uh, some certain groups like LexDAO or like Rapper like had been had had done. Uh, we've worked with a group uh, within LexDAO called. I think it's called like Lex Clinic uh, or something like that, and it's uh, it's a super cool like DAO. I mean, I, I don't know the, the exact taxonomy uh, within that DAO, uh, mm-hmm. but it's a, a group of, of people that uh, jumped into the into the project and to create like this um, bylaws for uh, a C corporation uh, that can defer some important actions and can be aware of the state that is on chain. Very cool. Yeah, so it's it's actually it, it ended up being much simpler than what I what I expected, and there's actually just like three very important things. Were like the bylaws of firm companies uh, differ from like the template uh, bylaws that, that you would get into a normal a normal company, and those are like we have the ability to recognize uh, shareholder votes happening on chain as um, a shareholder vote don't happen in a shareholder meeting. or Okay. Yeah, there's also the board aspect. So we like it's recognized that if safe members are the board members of the company, that we try to make them mapping in one to one. When the safe, they do an action, a multi safe action through the safe that is interpreted as a, as a binding board, board action. Okay. And then also the, the recognition of the, of the shares of the company being the tokens uh, which are on chain. And with those three things, there's a lot of things that people can just continue doing uh, using Firm protocol, and now are considered legally legally binding. So yeah, that, oh, cool. that was that was pretty cool. Yeah, uh, some people from like uh, I think it was it was Ross uh, said that we should call them loss. and I, I actually kind of uh, dig kind of dig the name, but I, I'm pretty sure we have to use the term loss as well. <laughs> but yeah, it's um, it's exciting. This is going live. I mean. Still, just for us, uh, but it's going going live as we as we speak. Uh, so, yeah, super super excited for for that.
0: That's awesome. And as for the cap table stuff, uh, was that also developed with the clinic, or how did you? Because I feel like that's one of the things that is the least developed. Like so many of the large, especially DeFi DAOs, just have one undifferentiated token, and all that they do is like a pie chart for who gets what percentage and some vesting <laughs> schedule. But it's not a very sophisticated approach to to well, it's, it, to yeah. whatever to whatever a token represents in those towns uh, so how did you develop the cap table tech for a firm?
1: yeah no this has been like most of the effort there has been at the protocol level so the, the cap table allows uh, companies to have um, different types uh, of share classes and you can give each of those share classes different different rights uh, like namely like for example, like voter rights so you can apply. Like a voting multiplier to a founding uh, founders' stock classes, some some companies to have like uh, Meta right now. So yeah, it's it's basically like different be, be, under the hood is like different tokens for for the different classes of stock. Like this can be like eleven fifty five. No, we ended up going with ERC twenty. It was like conceptual level. ERC one one five five. Makes the most sense. I and mean, we actually like the first implementation, uh, first prototype for the implementation was with we, we did it with 155. Um, uh, but it's, yeah, the, the issues like since most of the infrastructure in the ecosystem expects right. uh, uh, a new 55 token. Yeah, it, uh, doing like the Uniswap thing required like some fancy like uh, proxy contracts that you do for like having like an ERC20 interface for one. One particular idea of these tokens, it uh, was like a little bit clunky, but they issue really Was that all the wallets and all the infrastructure expect that um, an eleven fifty five is an NFT? So like it would show very very weird, <laughs> very very weird things. Maybe, maybe so people the scenes, would like to brag just,
0: about their their portfolio. <laughs> it makes sense a little bit.
1: Yeah, yeah, but it, it's it's weird because it's not like yeah. I mean, this is this is something that for now it's like ERC twenty twenties. like feels like. The, this is like this. There's not really a lot of trading of this like fungible classes of tokens within an eleven fifty five token. Because like people are really interpreting them as like, oh, this is, this is an, NF, an NFT. So yeah, I mean the, the fungibility aspect within a class is like very important, especially for foreign companies. it's like one particular class might end up being like broadly traded or publicly traded. So, like having this like, very easy integration into like being able to just plug it into, uh, into Uniswap or like um, a lending mm-hmm. it was very important. And all of those things have been built for just for ERC20. Even if for a cap table, it, it makes sense that it, it's kind of like this. This is exactly this. It's like you have an asset in which you have different classes of findable assets uh, within the class that are not non-fungible between themselves, even if you can convert from one into another. So it's like the perfect definition of 1155, but uh, in our case, it ended up making sense to build it with uh, ERC-20, which also allowed maybe the governance voting uh, very easy because we could integrate
0: with pre-existing things. So, yeah, that's. I, I wanted to know, what, what do you think is, uh, well, actually two things. First of all, what is the, are the funds that are inside of a firm on the protocol custodied by a firm, or is it uh, non-custodial in the sense that I, they're yeah. sovereign? I, I, you can't take anything out of my treasury.
1: Yeah, and actually, like all the treasuries stays in in safes. I so see. Okay. If people are like, we're sick of this firm, <laughs> firm product, uh, I don't <laughs> like it. Uh, they can just like uninstall or disable the firm, uh, the firm modules, and you're you have a normal safe. Got it, okay. Which and is then, very
0: cool. Is, what is the relationship between the token holders and the multi-sig board of directors? Is there, there's no direct voting connection between the two, is there?
1: Yeah, the, the on-chain voting of uh, shareholders, like kind of like the board, aka um, change the owners of the safe.
0: Oh, I see. Okay, so the owners of the safe are selected by the token holders, but the token holders don't yes. directly vote on uh, transactions. Exactly. Okay, mm-hmm.
1: exactly. I mean, th- this is the default setup that we give people. Um because both um, shareholder voting and the board can do a series of actions, but there's kind of like a, a slider behind the scenes, and it's like the organization can say, okay, like these actions can only be done by the board, or these actions can only be done by a shareholder vote, um, but like this can be moved. Um, depending see. on, so an organization might say, okay, we also want to allow direct transfers by the by circle uh um, in D M T mode, Go and ahead. that would be acceptable as well.
0: Um, yeah, have have NFTs or the emergence of NFTs in DAOs changed your perspective on governance at all in voting and voting in governance? Mm, or are fungibles still um, still still the the right way to quantify voting power? You think? Yeah, I don't think, I mean... Or maybe even followed, maybe even more broadly, yeah. is token voting viable? <laughs> I don't see, I really don't
1: see the difference between NFT token governance or fungible, ERC-20 fungible governance if the, the NFTs can move, right? Mm, okay. It's just, I mean... Uh, the, the actually might also give the um, if people have uh, to have them in different different accounts uh, because it, it wouldn't be as maybe as convenient, or you can have like a limit, like only two votes per account. But if the NFTs can freely
0: move, they yeah, f- they I function think it's like about, fungibles in that case, you think,
1: yeah, and I think they they do. But th- then you have like some counter, counter examples by seeing some NFT DAOs, which have been doing quite well uh, with, their, with their governance, but I think that's a lot more about the issuance rate than the fact that there's an NFT behind it. Mm. Or maybe they, it could be like I mean like someone might be less prone to sell their noun because like, they have like part of their personal brand attached to it or they have like a, they really like it and, and it's kind of part of their identity and they wouldn't sell it. that might change it dynamics a little bit. Yeah. I mean, I haven't followed NFT all, all that closely, but from like a 10,000 foot view, right. I, I don't think like, I mean, like at the technical level and like what's going on at the, the protocol levels, like there's no difference. Sure, sure, in sure, that, sure. There's no difference at all, but it's more about like the social uh, dynamics and mechanics that that play. Uh, yeah. I, I, I don't know. But I think like, yeah, token voting has like, um, yeah, it's a very interesting um, uh, space, especially when there's no, um, yeah, when people can just do whatever, right?
0: Yeah, I think you're right to point to the issuance rate as maybe more, or the issuance mechanism in the first place as maybe more uh, relevant to how the the governance plays out than necessarily what type of token is that people are using to vote. Although the identity point that you mentioned is also pretty relevant if someone, does establish an identity around something, then they're less, they're less likely to uh, put it up for flash loaning uh, or something for voting. Yeah. Uh, so what is the ideal firm? What, 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 do you have an, a picture in your mind of like a company that would make a great project on firm?
1: It's a little bit of a cheat answer, but uh, firm itself. Mm-hmm. It's, a, it's a company that is in, intended to be a company. There's no, it's not going to be a token. I don't think a token makes sense here. Like we have a part of what we build, which is like we consider like uh, public infrastructure, which is an absolutely public good, and actually we we open source that out um, even before starting uh, to onboard users, so which I think that's very important. Like the protocol that firms run on top of, like it's something that where you cannot, if you want to make it open source, um, there's no or like I don't spend a bunch of time thinking about this in Aragon, but I think there's no defensible way to make it open source and try to capture value there. In, in, a, in and Especially in a decentralized way, there's not like a... Mm-hmm.
0: You think once it's open security. source, the fees, that you can't really extract a fee because people will fork you. Uh, so Yeah, and it's a
1: race It's a race to the bottom. At least at the theoretical level. Yeah. And we've seen this in like very volume heavy, like fee heavy um, spaces, and which is like the uh, NFT world. I don't follow it very, very closely, but the NFT royalties and
0: uh, marketplaces. Sure. Yeah, I, like, I mean, Uniswap also.
1: Yeah, we're, we're starting kind of to see like, okay, like, are these like revenue capturing models really uh, defensible? Uh, so with firm, we went like, okay, this is open source. Also, because like I wouldn't use <laughs> software for my company that wasn't fully, uh, fully open source, and like if the company goes away, I know that I can keep keep using it. But then it's like there's the opportunity to like provide uh, additional uh, services or products that only a centralized what centralized company can provide. Uh, so like kind of like this incorporation thing that we can uh, help people do, or like uh, integrations with like fiat integrations. So like imagine like uh, a firm. Having the ability to have a debit card, like a fiat debit card, that right, pulls a right. balance directly from the services, front-end end.
0: services, other kinds of integrations that a, a DAO or an on-chain exactly. institution can not provide. But but it
1: will still be a pretty much an internet-native company. with like uh, most of our revenues uh, will either be on-chain uh, or like completely completely digital. So yeah, it's like, and I think there's going to be a lot more companies like this uh, that rather than trying to Come up with a with a protocol token, uh, which makes makes no sense. Be just very honest about it and be like, okay, this is free. Like this is like free open source software. If some other people want to use it, like be my guest. If some DAOs want to use a piece, like piece of it, uh, that's fine. And be like just very honest. Like okay, this is like an open source contribution, and then we're building a, a business and a service uh, on top of that. It's like there's some open source protocols in which like there's no network effect and there's no, just not a defensible way to um, to capture value out of uh, And I think Firm is a perfect example of this. Uh, I think a lot of things with tokens uh, would also be a perfect example for that. But it's kind of like, um, yeah, I mean, we want to give options for people building new things right now uh, to be able to do this uh, in this way uh, rather than having to create a token and kind of like a DWS dev- dev- model, because that that can end up being like a, a design uh, restriction, right? So like if you have to build things in a way that it could accrue value to a token in a defensible way, it's very hard. Uh, and as I was saying before, like when you launch a token, that like your main product is an economy. It's like the economy of that token and then the network that you're building around it. And then like the software and the services are kind of like (laughs) uh, surrounding things. Uh, But the main thing and for the token, if like that's the main thing uh, where you're trying to accrue value for your community, your investors and your team, the thing that you are actually building as a product, is the main product is this economy. And then you end up with like super weird things. Because like then there's like kind of like the double dipping system in which like people do have kind of like this token, but there's also like a valuable company <laughs> in which like the very valuable. And you can see that in, in Uniswap that they they raised us at a massive valuation a few months ago. I don't even remember. Uh, so you end up having like these like weird dual incentive models in which like the broad public and the community can only invest in one of those. Uh, but there's like two very different things and like depending on what what the company does at different time it clearly benefits one more than the other. So yeah, I think it's, um, it's going to be exciting to give people like, this other way of doing things, uh, which in my opinion is like, much more straightforward, and in many cases, more honest. Very cool. Uh,
0: are there any launch uh, projects, aside from Firm, that uh, you can talk about, or, or what kinds of things are, are people interested in building in the beta?
1: I mean, we've gotten interest from all over over the place. We now have um, like a form to request early access. We've been actually a little bit overwhelmed by the by the creativity and the things that, that people think um, they want to do with with firms. So that's been super exciting and encouraging. But yeah, I mean, I can't talk about any of the uh, early uh, users uh, that that we roll out first. Sure. Sure. Yeah, I mean, we're going first with things that are uh, early stage projects, uh, things that are similar to firm itself, because that's what we're really building towards. Uh, we've gotten interest from a few large DAOs because, like, some of the parts of firm protocol are independently interesting for DAOs. Like, for example, the budgeting, I could try see that being useful uh, for DAOs. But we're we're starting to focus on like servicing like this, um, this these companies that are going in. Uh, in this uh, operating mode mode of an internet company.
0: Makes sense. That's the end of my list of questions. Uh, is there anything about, maybe even Alejandro, if you wanted to jump in with anything we, we left out or shouldn't miss when talking about Firm?
2: Well, uh, well, first, thank you for, for this space. It was nice chatting with you. I, I believe that Jorge has covered almost all the things for me. One of the most relevant topics that I would like to go a bit around is like, how, how these uh, standard organizations that have been uh, the main uh, form of organization for for people creating things have been so successful doing that and also holding the, the incentives in the long term also for founders. That is something that we've seen in the space that sometimes people who founded the DAO, uh, they are almost billionaires and they, 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 in some cases, were not incentivized to, to keep uh, thriving the innovation and keep leading the, the thing. And finally, the, the DAO lost lost the leader. No? That sometimes, for example, we see in the Ethereum Foundation that we had um, such a, a big punch from Vitalik's leadership. And sometimes I, I see that uh, to bring uh, these. Projects to to the the maturity states that we need to keep the the Web3 space uh, improving and bringing people on board. And firm ha- has a thing, right? So, really excited about it, and and I guess that uh, we, as Jorge told, uh, we've received a lot of projects that are willing to to try to incorporate uh, using firm and to to use this kind of a flexible organization that we can provide uh, with an internet native company, but also uh, being uh, capable to, to, to hold value in the long term and to, to have a more standalone way of organization where the founders can have uh, the, the main voice and, and lead the, the innovation in, in the long term, while also having a good way to, to interact with the, the real world as Jorge said, with with the financial services that we can provide them to to deal with uh, traditional payment systems, or 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 even with with other companies that are not used to work with with crypto native um, ways of of handling, for example, invoices and and everything. So, I mean, I'm really excited to see how the people are are using this, and also. To, to provide and help uh, founders to, to, to succeed and to, to have a really operational setup and to avoid all the bureaucracy that they can encounter when they are trying to, to, to build a thing. No? We like to think that, that um, these, this bureaucracy that you need to go through as a founder and all the, the operational overhead that you need to deal with taxes, with everything, is, is a tax in, in your brain. So we would love to to at least bring that to CEDO to or close to CEDO.
0: Yeah, it's very exciting to see such a, a coherent full package uh, for organizations that want to run on chain. Uh, so I'm excited to see what projects come out. Congratulations on launching and open sourcing and look forward to seeing the project evolve. Thank you both for coming on the show. Thank you, Nicolás. Yeah, thanks a lot for, for having us. It's been super, super fun. This was great. All right. Thank you, everybody, for coming to listen. Uh, Thank you to the guests, of course. Uh, If you're interested in hearing more conversations like this, the next episode will be next Friday at 5 p.m. Eastern time. And let me see who's coming on. It's going to be Gio Medici of Abacus, which is uh, some kind of NFT infrastructure. I'm going to have to look into it before then. (laughs) If you're interested, come by next Friday for that. Thank you, everybody, for tuning in. See you next week. Hey, thanks for listening to this episode of Web3 Galaxy Brain. To keep up with everything Web3, follow me on Twitter at Nicholas with four leading ends. You can find links to the topics discussed on today's episode in the show notes. Podcast feed links are available at web3galaxybrain.com. Web3 Galaxy Brain airs live most Friday afternoons at 5 p.m. Eastern Time, 2200 UTC on Twitter spaces. I look forward to seeing you there.